Thanks for joining us this week for the Church at Starkey Hills podcast. Be sure to visit our website at starkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Amen. Good morning. How's everybody today? That was about terrible, but it's okay. I'm going to press on. Hey, I'm glad you're here and you are here uh, on a special day. I believe God has ordained for you to be here because we're starting a brand new thing. And uh, for the next four weeks, we're going to be talking about prayer and all of the things that are connected to that. And it's more than just prayer. And uh, everybody in here can improve their prayer life. Now, you may be a prayer warrior and you get up at four o'clock in the morning and you spend three hours on your face before God. That's awesome. God will improve that. Uh, Maybe you're like me and prayer is not your strongest suit. Uh, And this will be amazing for you because, listen, God wants an intimate prayer relationship with you. Tell the person next to you, he's talking about you. Yeah, God, the creator and sustainer of all things, wants to have a relationship with you. A daily conversation. Uh, uh, First Thessalonians would say to pray without ceasing. It means just to be an ongoing open relationship with God. And often that's not what our prayer life looks like, looks like, and often we miss everything that God has in store for us. And so I truly believe that God has us at a place where he wants to do something beautiful in our life, in my life, in your life, in the life of this church. And I mean, I'll explain that in a minute, why I'm so convicted and convinced of that. But it's amazing. And prayer is the key that opens the door to heaven's best. It's the key. And we forget it sometimes. And we just kind of choke when it comes to prayer. And I believe God wants us to develop our prayer life. Now, every year we try to give him our first fruits of our life by focusing in January on prayer. And the reason is to help us launch well into a new year. Because every year brings its own uh, set of circumstances and difficulties. And every year uh, is, is different but if, but if we're, we want to do well in the new year, we need to launch well into the new year. And sometimes we change nothing and then we expect a different result. It's kind of foolish, you know. And so by developing our prayer life on the front end and, and understanding what prayer really looks like and the things that go with prayer to empower our prayer life, I truly believe it will unlock the door and God will do some amazing things. Now, what is so valuable or so, so significant about prayer? I hadn't really thought about it this way before, but the truth is, everything significant in my life, the most, let me back up, the most significant things in my life are hooked or tethered to prayer. In fact, today, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, it's hooked on a prayer. That moment in time when the Holy Spirit kind of whispers into your soul and says, hey, I love you right where you are, but I love you too much to leave you there. I want to invite you on a journey. Will you let Jesus come into your life and save you? you, And let me mark you with my Holy Spirit and fill you up, and we'll be on this journey that lasts for eternity, and you respond in prayer. The greatest thing that could ever happen to somebody is salvation, and it's hooked on a prayer. Now, the prayer is not what saves us. Obviously, Jesus is the one who saves us, but it's a a relationship. It's that moment, man, when it's, it's, it's tied together. You and God are connected, and it happens on a prayer in my life. Our, my wife, I had to pray over that. She probably had to pray more than I did. But I had to pray about that. And we've been married for 36 years. And it's hooked to a prayer. 
Our children, I remember our first daughter, it was a crisis pregnancy. Man, it was the first time we went before God and we just prayed, just labored over it in prayer. And God saved her and made something beautiful out of her life. Listen, it's hooked to a prayer. And I was thinking about it. If the greatest things in our life are hooked to a prayer, how many great things has our life missed simply because we didn't pray? How about that? Imagine if we started praying about more things and it unlocked the door to heaven's best. What if, what if we prayed about everything? And maybe you do pray about, about everything, but maybe you're not praying exactly right all the time. I think every prayer should be expectant. Every prayer should, should have a, a, a real confident expectation of God answering our prayers. And if we don't, listen, if you don't expect God to answer your prayers, stop praying. <laughs> because God is a God who hears our prayers. The Bible says his ears are tilted to the prayers of the righteous, those found in Jesus. He hears our prayers and he wants to answer our prayers. And so I want us to develop the idea of prayer and the things that go with it. And sometimes prayer travels alone and it shouldn't. You see, there's disciplines in our Christian journey that often we forget. And I honestly believe that prayer is the most powerful tool in our spiritual arsenal, and often we leave it on the shelf, and we fail to do what it is that God wants us to do. Now, why am I so convicted of this, so convinced that God wants to do something cool in the life of our church, and in my life, and in your life, and in your family and in the life of your children, and in your career, and in your business. Why do I really believe that? And I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher, but I'm a Bible preacher. And the reason I believe it, the reason I'm convicted of it and convinced of it is because God loves you so much that he died for you. Why would he stop and hold back blessings in your life? Because unanswered prayers, there's two categories. Prayers offered in sinfulness are unanswered prayers, and prayers that are unprayed are unanswered prayers. We just simply fail to pray expectantly from God. And so that's what, that's what kind of moved my heart. So how did that happen? In October of 2021, Kendra and I went to Orange Beach. Now, Orange Beach, typically, it's on the Gulf Coast. It's kind of calm there, not a lot of activity in the ocean. But there had been a storm. There's a lot of action. I mean, the waves were rolling in. It was just crashing and screaming. And Kendra and I were sitting on the beach and sitting in a chair down, had our feet in the ocean. And I was just kind of talking to God because I was in a weird spot. You know, you ever get in a weird spot with God? You're like, I just don't know, you know, where am I at? What's going on? God, are you listening? Are you there? I was in that moment. It's whatever. So I had my feet in the ocean and I said, God, uh, I confess my weaknesses. I know I'm, I, I don't do well a lot of times. I haven't been faithful in some areas. And, I really appreciate what you've done in my life and my family and in the church. And I'm, I'm so thankful that I get to be at the church at Sturkey Hills to pastor there. And uh, I, I just want to know is, uh, I know you want to grow your church. Because Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So you said that. I believe you. And so I don't want to get in the way. So like... If I'm interfering with your growth of the church or if, if I'm a problem or I'm not doing something right, you just tell me and I'm, I'm in. I'll, I'll do it. I'll step aside and you can put somebody else in there and you can give me another assignment or whatever it is. You know, I'm just kind of talking to God that way. And, and, and it's so funny. It's the Holy Spirit was like, did I say that or did you say that? And I said, well, it sounded like me, but I just wanted to be sure it wasn't you. 
And he said, it's not me. He said, you're where you're supposed to be. And I'm like, okay, cool, it's good. I said, okay, so what do we need to do better? Because I labor over church. I love church. I love the Lord's church. I'm part of it, adopted into it when I was 10 years old, going to be part of it for eternity. I'm about some church, the Lord's church, the bride of Christ. So I said, God, I, I, what do we need to do to, to, to not get in the way and to, and to allow you the freedom to do what you want to do because it's your church? And it was louder than audibly. He just said, pray well. And I wanted to say, God, is there something else? Because I don't do good at that one. I don't really like that one. That means like sitting still, you know. Can we not like run something down or holler and carry on? Because this sitting still, that's not easy for me. I'm confessing it to you. God said, pray well. So every year in January, we give like January as prayer and fasting as first fruits for the year to launch well. But this year it's different. I truly believe that God wants to do some beautiful things in our midst. I truly believe he's done great things, and I know that. But I honestly believe he's just scratching the surface. He's been scratching the surface of what he's getting ready to do. And I think prayer is the thing that will move us to that next level. Prayer is the thing that will take us to that place where we experience heaven's best now listen it does it, it'll change things if I pray better if I pray well and I'm going to try I'm trying to develop it in my life I want it to go to some weird place where God is just like speaking to me and it's just like all over me I, I want to experience that I want to be like Martin Luther and some of the reformers who who would pray for three hours because they realized if I don't pray for three hours I must well not leave my home and start my day Okay, I want it to, to be like that, vibrant and alive and, and, man, just energetic and an intimate walk with God. But if I'm the only one, then, then, then that's okay for me. But you miss out on the opportunity too, and I think God doesn't do what he wants to do in our midst. So I want you to go on the journey with me. I want you to allow God to do something beautiful in your spiritual journey. You see, often what we do is we... We come to a place where maybe we receive Christ, we get saved, and that is our hinge point. And it's, and it's significant. But we never experience another great season beyond that. We kind of hook on to that moment of salvation, but we just always look back to that moment. God wants more than that. God wants this moment to be that moment. God wants that moment to be trumped by this moment and tomorrow's moment to trump today's moment. God wants to do great things every day in your life. And I truly believe 2022, man, we need some great stuff in our life. We need God to do some powerful things in our life. And he will do it because he loves you so much that he died for you. Now, for prayer to be real in your life and for you to have a desire to have a prayer journey or relationship with God, there's three kind of principles or motivating factors that have to be understood. First of all, that God is good. Secondly, that God's word is true. And thirdly, that Christians are expected to pray. All right? Now, if you don't accept one of those three, just visit somewhere else for the month and don't worry about your prayer life. Okay? But the truth is, God is good. His word is true. 
And you and I, as children of God, are expected to pray, and we're going to talk about that. But there's other things in our prayer life that we're going to talk about that will help us get to that place. Prayer is powerful. Adrian Rogers, one of my heroes in the faith, he said this, prayer can do anything God can do, and God can do anything, right? So if, that's, if, if God can do anything, and you are a child of God, then when we ask great things of God, we can expect God to do great things. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about what that means because sometimes we have prayer lists that we pray based on what we think is great, what we think is best. And rather than just aligning ourselves with the sovereign will of God and letting God do what he wants to do. So prayer is the key that opens the door to heaven's best. And we want to put in your hands today a tool that'll help you. It looks like this. Now, this is something I put together, and Mike England printed it up for me, so if there's any typos, Mike printed it. Just kidding. It's my fault, okay? If you see any errors, just ignore them, read over them. It's not about, you know, some literary piece of genius, work of genius. It is a tool to help us pray better. Now, so, so what's gonna happen is on the inside cover right here, there's sermon notes, and I would encourage you to write some notes. And then in about seven days, there'll be another couple of empty pages for more sermon notes. And then there'll be uh, six days of, uh, of some information to help you and a place to write your prayers. And we'll talk about that in a minute. And then there'll be some more sermon notes. But I want you to take this book and own it. I want you to write your name in it. Call it your own. I'm going to challenge you at the end to make a statement or a declaration before God about a commitment to God regarding your prayer life and regarding this book. Now... This book is designed to help you, to encourage you, to motivate you, to remind you, to give you a place to track <clears throat> 21 days of conversation between you and God, a place to track 21 days of meditational thoughts about his word and about God, a place to write, <clears throat> excuse me, 21 days of expectation from God, and then ultimately to record what God speaks to you and what God does in your life. And so it's important that you dive in. Now, how, how do you begin? Because it's, a prayer, it's kind of a prayer journal. Mm -hmm. Okay, honestly, I have never written a journal in my life. Okay, have I written prayers? Sure I have. Have I written a lot of comments that God speaks when I write sermons? Sure I have. Am I a prayer journaler? No. Okay? Now, I know a lot of you dudes are journalers. You know, you get up every morning and you just start filling out your book. Probably not. Some of you ladies are journalers, okay? You write some stuff. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, the women's journals will be better looking journals than the men's journals. It's going to be just beautiful penmanship. It's going to be on the front, maybe in the margin on the back because they ran out of room. And ours is going to look like a kindergarten drawing, guys. Okay? But it's okay. It's a process. We got to get into this thing and, <clears throat> and, and develop some intentionality about our prayers to see if God will not just do something beautiful. When you read about people who pray a lot, you're like, how do you pray that long? You develop prayers that long. But it begins by just simply putting some notes. So on the first day, just write things that you know that you would like to pray for. You can put on there your 
walk with God or your spouse, your children, the future spouse of your children, your grandchildren, your parents, your church, your church leadership, your career or job, material needs, your dreams, your friends, your health, the lost, people who are sick. Just pray about the things in your life, everything in your life. Now, I'm asking everybody to do this. I'm asking first men to do this. Okay, male species, I'm asking you to do this thing. I'm going to do it, okay? Ladies, as I mentioned, you'll probably do better than us, but I want you to do it. Young men, young ladies, students, I'm asking you to do it. And, and the girls in the youth department, they'll probably do better than everybody because Kelsey and Clark tell me how good they do about stuff anyway, all right? Right now, there are men in here who, who, who in your mind, this is what you said, I ain't doing that, Okay? I ain't writing in a book, probably ain't reading a book. I'm not committing to pray every day. I'm sure not going to fast. You know what you just did? You confessed a stronghold in your life. Now, I'm not saying you have to do a book to pray. I'm saying if your prayer life looks like mine, a book will help you remain focused and intentional and expectant about God in your life. <clears throat> I'm telling you that when we say I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that, when, when, when the preacher wants to encourage you about something, we're confessing strongholds in our life. God, I ain't doing that. God says you just told me, you told your family, you told yourself, and you told the enemy of hell that you are more committed to your personal stronghold than you are me. Now, that's kind of hard, isn't it? It's true. How can I say that? Because I'm that guy. I'm that guy. I'm that guy that would sit there, listen to a preacher say, I ain't writing no prayer in my book. I'm, not re I'm that guy, and it's wrong. And so we've got to let God break down those barriers and those strongholds in our life. What does it look like when God breaks that stuff? It's ugly. It's embarrassing, right? Let me tell you one of the first strongholds about prayer that that God broke in my life. And I may have shared this before to you. Kendra and I were young, married, part of a great church, and we went to church on a Wednesday night. Preaching was great, the music was great. First time, they said, now we're gonna do prayer circles. Hmm. Now at this point, I'm probably 22. I've been a Christian for about 12 years. I probably had a zero of a prayer life, okay? Got in a circle. Kendra and I ended up with about 10 old women. Did no prayer warriors, okay? So we're standing in a circle, and the preacher says, I want you to hold a hand with the per per uh, person next to you. So I'm holding the hand of an old woman I don't know and a young woman who I love, my wife. And we're in a circle. And they started praying heaven down. These women were prayer warriors, and we got stuck in there. And they're praying, I mean, they're praying the power of God down on this circle, and the whole time, I'm thinking, that's amazing, but I'm going to have to pray. I don't do this. Stronghold, I don't do this. Now, it was gradually making its way around the circle to me. I had one out. I had two outs. Pray or simply squeeze the hand of the person next to you and pass the baton. You know, just to decline on praying. Well, that was Kendra. I didn't want to throw her under the bus, so I just prayed. It was terrible. It was the most butchered up prayer probably God's ever heard. Angels were weeping. 
flags of heaven, half mass. I mean, it was awful. And those women, you know what those women were saying when I was praying that silly little prayer? Amen, Lord Jesus. Yeah, bless him, Lord Jesus, you know. And we walked, and I was sweating, man. I was just sweating, wanting to throw up. And we finished that night, and, and we left, and, it, and it, it unlocked the door. That prayer doesn't matter who's in your circle. doesn't matter whose hand is holding your hand. It doesn't matter where you're at. It matters that you pray. God wants to hear from you. That's so cool that he cares to hear from you. And there's things yet sometimes that we fail to realize and understand about prayer. And so we miss really engaging in some serious prayer with God. And so we're going to help you with that. Now, there's three components to a vibrant, active prayer life that we're going to talk about um, over the next few weeks. They are fasting, praying, and meditation. Okay? Fasting, praying, and meditating. Now, fasting is what I'm going to ask you to begin tomorrow and prayerfully consider what that is today. Fasting is the elimination of something physical in your life in pursuit of something spiritual to fill that void. You see, sometimes people say, well, I want to I get rid of that sin in my life as an example. <clears throat> and they get rid of the, <clears throat> excuse me, they get rid of the sin, but they never fill it with something positive. They never pursue holiness in the absence of that sin. Well, fasting is like that. It's where we take something physical out of our life that we enjoy, and we pursue something spiritual to fill that. Now, let me, a fast, let me tell you what a fast, fast means you separate something physical that you like. In other words, I cannot fast from Brussels sprouts and lima beans. I can't say, God, I love you. I want to experience a new place in my journey with you. No Brussels sprouts or lima beans in my life. And God's going to say, is this a joke? You hate both of those, right? Now, what, what do I like? I like Diet Coke. That's a problem. I need to stop drinking Diet Coke, right? So I'm going to have to separate that from my life and drink water. Uh, there's other things that God has convicted my heart to remove from my life. And, and so fasting is separating ourselves from something physical to experience something spiritual. It can be food. It could be social media. It could be caffeine or soft drinks. It could be anything that God puts in your life. It could be television, it, whatever. The stronghold in your life to, to pull that out in pursuit of something spiritual. So the second thing <clears throat> is praying. Fasting, praying. Praying is designed to be a dialogue with God. Unfortunately, most often, prayer is a monologue with God. We talk a lot. We tell God what we want. We tell God what we expect. We tell God what we need. We tell God what he's told us in Scripture. But often we fail in the second part of that equation, and that is to simply hear from God. And you've heard the expression, maybe used it, you got two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak. We don't do that well with God. We don't even do it well with each other. So prayer is a dialogue. It's a conversation with the God of all creation. And, and, and prayer, is it's okay to ask God what you want. I, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks 
we have, God would like for us to ask more than we ask. The problem is often we ask and we fail to be looking for the answers to those questions, to those requests. And so we miss out on the blessings and our faith doesn't grow and our prayer walk doesn't, uh, doesn't grow and our journey with Jesus doesn't get any better. Thirdly, meditating. The third part, that's a, these are all catalysts. They like work together to activate each other to make prayer come alive. Fasting, prayer, and meditating. Now, when you hear the word meditating, you, you, a lot of times you have these weird thoughts, right? You know, like, you know, I'm gonna sit, in this, I'm gonna sit and light up some incense and hum and carry. Don't do that. Don't do, that's not what we're talking about. To meditate means to ponder or to think or um, to develop thoughts about God. And we do that through his word. We do that through prayer. We do that through our life experience with Jesus. And so for, this, for the sake of the 21 days of prayer and fasting, what does it look like? You go to day one tomorrow, you read the page that I've written there. It's got a little bit of information. A lot of times there'll be some scripture in there. And you don't have to look it up in most cases. It's right there. You can read that passage. Maybe you read uh, a chapter in the Bible. Maybe you have a, a book of the Bible that you're wanting to go through. You read some of that. And then you just pause and you think about it. And then you write in your book, God, I think this is what I'm learning from your word. I'm meditating on the word while fasting and praying. And something happens, something significant. God begins to unlock the door of heaven's best. And so, in a nutshell, a prayer that's lifted up to God, that's postured in humility through fasting, that, that is built on the foundation of the truth of God's word is the key that unlocks the door to heaven's best. There's a lot of us in here that need some of heaven's best in our life. There's a lot of us in here who have some of the good stuff in heaven, from heaven, but we have not accepted the best stuff from heaven. God wants to do bigger than we know. God, I truly believe, wants us to pray big, big prayers expecting big, big things. And so, tomorrow, how does this work? Tomorrow, I want you to begin. I want you to pray, to meditate, and I want you to fast. Now, we're gonna talk about fasting today, and we'll talk about prayer over the next couple of weeks, because fasting is not a popular subject, especially in the Southeast, amen? Because fasting predominantly has to do with food, and the Southeast, culture is hooked up on some food you know it's true everything we do is connected to food oh your mama died here's a covered dish oh you want to go out on a date let's get us something to eat you know every celebration oh graduation let's go to dinner birthday let's have a birthday dinner it's eat whether it's good bad or indifferent we're going to eat and we're going to connect it to food now it's not just in the southern culture Fasting is not a popular subject matter. In fact, one book I read said that between 1861 and 1954, almost 100 years, there were thousands of books written and published on, on prayer 
and meditation or Bible study. Zero books published for almost 100 years on fasting. Ain't nobody wants to talk about it, right? We don't want to talk about fasting. But biblically, there are over 74 references to fasting. And biblically, fasting is connected to some of the most significant times and events in all of God's word. Let me give you just a few examples. Moses fasted before he got the Ten Commandments. That's kind of big. The Big Ten, he fasted to get it. Uh, Elijah fasted while escaping Jezebel. That's in 1 Kings. Ezra fasted while mourning over sin. That's Ezra 10. Esther fasted for safety of the Jews. Esther 4. Darius fasted for the safety of Daniel. Daniel 6. Daniel fasted for an answer to prayer. Daniel 10. The people of Nineveh fasted before they all got saved. Jonah 3. Paul fasted after his conversion before he began his ministry and wrote nearly two-thirds of the Bible, Acts chapter 9. The church elders of Antioch fasted before they sent their missionaries out on their missionary journeys. And, and, and in addition to that, there's a lot of <clears throat> what I would call the bigs of the Bible <clears throat> who embraced a fasting. You got David, Peter, Joel the prophet, and then you've got contemporaries, people of, 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 our, of the last two or three hundred years who were pioneers in the Reformation and who were significant church leaders who wrote books about fasting. John Wesley, John Calvin, Jonathan Edwards, Charles Finney, and Martin Luther. And if all of that is, an, if that's all you have, you'd have to say, okay, there's something to the idea of fasting. It's bigger than normal, right? There's something there. But we left out the coolest one of all, Jesus. Jesus was a proponent of fasting. Jesus at least fasted one significant time, 40 days and 40 nights, and it launched his battle with Satan himself and his earthly ministry, which would prepare him to die a sacrifice on a cross to save us. Listen to what it looks like in Matthew chapter 3. It says, after Jesus was baptized, just as he was coming up out of the water, the heavens opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dear son, in him I take great delight. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights. A one-on-one -on -one encounter with the most powerful uh, evil that the world has ever known, Satan and Jesus, after 40 days of complete fast, 40 days and 40 nights, he had an encounter with Satan himself. Now, we know that, that, that Satan tempted him with the three categories of sin that all men are exposed to, the first of which had to do with what? Food, strangely enough. 40 days of fasting, and he says, hey, how about these stones? And, and historically in context, those stones would have been small uh, stones, smooth, looked like a little loaf of bread. And Satan said, hey, let's, what do you say we have a bread party? And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but out of the words that proceed out of the mouth of the Father. Now, it's not just ironic that the first temptation of Jesus by Satan himself was food, because when you go back to the beginning of time in Genesis 3 in the fall of man, what does the temptation have to do with? The fruit, food. You see, there's something significant about food in our life. Now, don't get me wrong. You don't have to fast from food. It can, because some people have medical conditions where fasting from food can be very difficult. But I want to let you know if you can fast from things in your life, 
separate yourself from physical things in your life, food and beverage, to pursue something spiritual in your life, I would encourage that because there's something significant about it. Now, Jesus battles well. Why? He fasted and prayed. There's one good reason. And then in verse 10, <clears throat> what's, what happens when we do this? When we pray, when we fast, when we meditate, what happens? Look at the end result in verse 10. It says, Satan looked at Satan, excuse me, Jesus looked at Satan and he said, Go away, Satan, for it is written, You are to worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and began ministering to his needs. Now that's in chapter three, chapter four of, of Matthew. Jesus fasted, God gave him power over the enemy, and Satan left. And the angels came and ministered to him, all right? That's significant. So that's Jesus, and Moses was Moses, and, and uh, Daniel was Daniel. What about you? What about me? Well, just a couple chapters after Jesus does this, look what happens in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is now teaching his disciples, his followers, People who are going to be saved, the people that are his children, you, me, this is who he's talking to. He's talking to us, just like he was talking to the first disciples. And this is what he says. He gives three assumptions about the Christian journey. Jesus reveals three expectations from you and from me. Not if you're lost, but if you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, here are three expectations, assumptions that God, that Jesus has about your life. In chapter 6, in verse 2, he says, when you give. Verse 3, he says, when you give. Now, this message is not about giving. I preach from time to time about giving because if I don't, I'm robbing you of a blessing. But I want you to know Jesus expects you to give, okay? Now, I'll explain why this is important in a minute. Number two, I want you to see the second expectation or assumption that he has is to pray. Continuing in Matthew chapter 6, now in verse 5, he says, when you pray. In verse 6, he says, when you pray. In verse 7, he says, when you pray. And when, in verse 9, he says, so pray like this. He doesn't say if you give and if you pray. He says when you give and when you pray. Jesus expects you to pray. You, you can't run from that. He said it four times, when you pray, when you pray, when you pray. Oh, when you pray, pray like this. The third thing I want you to see is that he wants you to fast. He says now, <clears throat> continuing in the same chapter, chapter 6 of Matthew, verse 16, he says, when you fast. Verse 17, he says, when you fast. Verse 18, he says, when you are fasting. And then he says, and your father who sees it in secret will reward you. Do you see it? Prayer is the key to heaven's best. When we activate our prayers with, with fasting and meditation, God rewards us. He will bless you. He will bless me. He will bless us. But often, we walk through life and we don't allow God to bless us because we simply have not trained ourselves well in the discipline of prayer fasting, giving, and meditation, all right, all right? So if, God, if Jesus expects those three things from us, <clears throat> how are we doing? How's, how are we doing? Well, 
Barna Research does a lot of research, a boatload. And there's another one called the Pew Institute. They do a lot of research, good stuff. And this is what we find out from research. About 20% of the Christian community are biblical givers, meaning they give a tenth or more of their income to the church. About 20%, two out of 10. So Jesus' expectation was to give. We don't do that very good. So what about prayer? That's the second one. What about prayer? Well, prayer is hard to measure because when you ask a question, and the question was this, do you pray at least once a day? And a little less than two-thirds of the Christian community said, yes, we do, 64%. They said, yeah, we pray at least once a day. Now, I'm just going to tell you, the bar is set low when you ask this question, do you pray at least once a day? Because you know what all is included in a prayer once a day, anything and everything. That's not what Jesus' expectation of prayer was, that we just throw up a prayer uh, once a day. And yet we don't even do that very well. 64% said they pray once, at least once a day. Maybe over a meal, maybe before they go to bed, maybe a crisis prayer because of a prayer request, a friend who's sick or, or whatever. And so, so far, we're not passing the test very well of the expectations of Jesus in our life. What about fasting? <laughs> this is funny. There's not even a good survey about, about fasting. I don't know if they started doing the survey and everybody's like, no, I ain't doing that. You know, but there's nothing. There's no information. But I would be willing to bet if I was a betting man. Can't do that, especially in church. Have to wait to get outside. I'd be willing to bet that, we've, that we are better at giving and praying than we are at fasting. Would you agree with that? Amen. You know it's true. And so God wants us to have this discipline in our life and yet we choke. And so, how do, we, how do we do this? How do we move forward? Now, there's people in here today, they don't want, they, they've got enough from God, right? It's like, I, I don't, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to journal. I'm not going to meditate. And I'm sure not going to fast. You know why? Because my marriage is perfect. And my children, they're perfect. And my finances, perfect. My home, wonderful and perfect. In fact, my whole life is perfect. God is good. And I ain't doing none of that. But then there's some of the rest of us. My marriage needs fasting and prayer and meditation. My children, prayer, fasting, and meditation. My career, my job, my finances, my health, my life needs prayer, fasting, and meditation. And for us, I believe God wants to hear us. Now, let me tell you, when we say prayer is the key that opens the door to heaven's best, I want you to understand it doesn't mean that maybe we don't have a good life apart from it. Because the Bible says that, that, that God's grace reigns upon the just and the unjust alike. It means we all have good things in our life just because God is God. And he just pours out good things. But sometimes we're hanging on so white-knuckled tight to the good things that we miss the best things. Let me give you an example. Sometimes we have to understand to engage and experience the best, uh, heaven's best in our life, we have to align ourselves with the will and the word and the way of God 
for our life. And that's what prayer and fasting and meditation does. It's not a way of getting God to do what we want him to do. He's not our genie in a bottle. Man, if I fast, if I get real good and hungry, pray real hard and read me a chapter of Leviticus, then I can just take the <laughs> genie God, let me tell you what I want now. And a little smoke's going to come out. Your wish is my command. That's not what it is. Prayer, fasting, and meditation becomes aligning ourselves up with the will, the way, and the word of God. And that is where heaven's best is always found. Now watch this. Kendra and I were in our 20s, and we had Caitlin as our daughter, and Kelsey was not born yet. And I had a good job. I was an engineer in a, at a foundry in Chattanooga, but I was working 12 hours a day, six days a week. Brutal. And I was pursuing Jesus, and so was Kendra. We were, we were trying. So I started praying, God, I, I would like another job. A job, and I was specific, job with more money to provide for my family, and a job with less hours. <laughs> that's, a good, uh, that's a good chasm of difference. I want less hours and more money. That's a win for me. Okay? So I asked God for that. And so I would read in the paper at the time. They didn't have the internet. You know, you'd, you'd do whatever you could to find out about jobs. So this opportunity arose. It was good. It was in Oneida, Tennessee. Okay? Oneida. And it was good. It was a quality control manager in a manufacturing facility. And the job description looked like me. Everything I'd been doing it was right there. It was good money. I went up and interviewed. Came back. Kendra said, how'd it go? I said, I got it. You got it? I got it. He told me he's going to call me in a week or two. I got the job. And I said, I should have got the job. It basically had my picture on there. Okay? I mean, it was perfect. It was more money, less hours. It was a kind of a prestigious job, you know, in Oneida. He didn't call me next week. And then he didn't call me the second week on my job. So I got on the phone. I called up there and said, hey, my name's Joel. I interviewed for a job. He told me I got the job, but I haven't heard anything. Oh, have you not heard? Apparently not. They said he passed away in a traffic accident. I said, the personnel manager did? He said, yeah. And I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. When will they probably make a decision? He said, well, they, they've already hired somebody, and he brought his brother-in-law in for that job. I said, no, he didn't. I said, are you serious? And they said, yeah. I said, Okay. It was like a punch to the chest because this was a good job. More money, less hours, Oneida, Tennessee. So I started praying again. Next thing you know, within a few months, I had an opportunity to go into sales, and this is what they said. We're going to give you a company car. We're going to put you on commission but match your salary for the first year, and we're going to give you a membership to a country club. We're going to give you a car phone. This is how old I am. Nobody had a phone. I thought I was the El Presidente of the United States. I had one mounted in my car, drilled a hole in the ceiling for an antenna roof for an antenna. Okay, you want to take it out with you? It was in a bag this big, weighed about 10 pounds. Okay, God took me from what I saw as bad, what I saw as good, and he opened up the door to heaven's best. How good was it? On Sunday, I'm a hick from Tennessee. I had my, sets, my sights set on Oneida. You know what I'm saying? On Sundays, by then, we had Kelsey. She was just little. 
Caitlin was just a little girl. On Sundays, we would go to the club for brunch. They would have ice sculptures on the table. I'm a hick from Tennessee. Our kids are climbing under the table to find their strawberries. You know what I'm saying? Sophisticated, all right? We went to Hawaii, took the girls to Hawaii. They could care less. Went to the, through the rainforest. They're under a blanket in the back seat. Why? Because when we pray, we fast, we meditate, we pursue the, the, the word of God, the will of God, and the way of God, it's the key that opens up the door to heaven's best. And when we experience heaven's best, all of a sudden, what we saw as good begins to pale in comparison. And we want to experience more of heaven's best in our life. And I'm telling you, church, I'm telling you, with all the conviction, with more conviction than I ever thought possible, God is that God, and he wants that life for you, for your family, for your children, and for this church. And it's not, it's not prosperity gospel. It's, it's experiencing everything that God has for us simply because we align ourselves with his word, his will, and his way. So how do we fast? That's, 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 that's what the, the potential outcome. That's what's going to happen. So how do we fast? What does it mean? Maybe you've never fasted. You can read your Bible. You can look them up. You can Google them. There's tons and tons of opportunities if you want to use one as a template. But in the Bible, there's short fast. In Judges 20, there's long fast. 40 days for Moses and Jesus. There's complete fast and total abstinence of water and food. I don't recommend that to anybody. Uh, there's a partial fast like Daniel 21 a 21-day fast uh, in Daniel 10, it can be three days, 21 days, 40 days. It can be a half a day. It can be part of a day. It, it's not a matter of the mathematics of your prayer and fasting, not how often. It's not the geometry of it, you know, how big it is or, or that. It, it's, it, it's not how, uh, how sweet, like organized it is. It's the condition of your heart. It's the condition of your heart. That's what God is after. A new heart conditioning. You know what the church needs more than anything today? Revival. Now, traditionally, historically in the church, when you heard revival, oh, that's cool, that's a good time for a lot of people to get saved. That's not revival. Revival is when saved people get revived. A lost person can't get revived until they've been vived, <laughs> you know. That's a whole different deal. Now, let me tell you what happens. When the people of God, the church of God, get revival, experience an outpouring of God in their life, and, and are radically moved and stirred, don't get me wrong. The byproduct of, of that is that people will get saved. People who are lost in your family, they get saved because all of a sudden you are different. You've been revived. You've had a fresh encounter with God. So, so uh, salvations do happen because of revival. But the church, what we need, what I need, what the pastor needs and the leadership needs, and what you need is revival, a fresh filling and anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life, a fresh encounter with the God of the universe. And it happens when we pursue his will, his way, and his word, and it can be done through prayer, fasting, and meditation. And so what can we expect then? A deeper prayer life, a prayer life that's exciting. A prayer life that, man, in the morning, you can't wait for morning, you wake up at four, and this is happening in me. 
You wake up at four and you say, man, I, I can start my prayer time at six. And then you realize, I might as well start now. And so you start getting excited. And I truly believe God gets excited. Because I believe he's in heaven. He's back. She's back. They're back for more. And, and, and let's see what happens. So your prayer life gets deeper. You have a deeper care for the world. You start actually praying for people's condition. For lost people, you begin to pray for them by name. You begin to be concerned about where they're going to spend their eternal destiny. You have a deeper relationship with God. You get close to God like it was in the past. But it's fresh and new and better because it's next level. You have a deeper sense of holiness. And I'll show you this in a minute. God, you fast of something in your life like Brussels sprouts and lima beans. And you start pursuing God and the Holy Spirit begins to whisper, hey, what about that? What about taking that out of your life? What about social media? Do you really need that? Oh, what about pornography? Oh, what about those shows you watch on television? What about, what about your sports? What about gambling? What about, and he, and he, oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. And he begins to help us and we begin to fast of other things because we have a new sense of holiness. And we have a deeper desire for purity. And so God wants to do great things. And I, I want to finish with this. I never saw this before. I've read it, but I never saw it in this light. I want you to know something, because I've been guilty of this. That, okay, if I get real hungry and pray real fervently and read my Bible, then that's the, that's the magic formula for God to do great things in my life and yet at the end of it sometimes I thought well I, I sensed that God did some things but I don't think it's what it was supposed to be Isaiah 58 God told Isaiah to tell the nation of Israel that it's more than the position of your body it's the condition of your heart listen to what he said to Isaiah I'm not going to preach it I'm just going to read it but let the Holy Spirit read it to your heart. God said to Isaiah, he said, Isaiah, I want you to shout loudly. And don't be quiet. Yell as loudly as a trumpet. He wants them to hear this. He says, confront my people with their rebellious deeds. Confront Jacob's family with their sin." Oh, they seek me day after day and they want to know my requirements like a nation that does what is right and does not reject the law of their God. And they ask me for decrees and they want to be near God. And they lament and say, oh, why don't you notice when we fast? And why don't you pay attention when we humble ourselves? Look, God says, at the same time that you fast, you satisfy your selfish desires. You oppress the workers. Look, your fasting is accompanied by arguing and brawls and fist fights. Do not fast as you do today, trying to make your voice heard in heaven. Is this really the kind of fasting you think I want? 
Do I want a day when people merely humble themselves and bow their heads like a reed and stretch out on a sackcloth and ashes? Is this really what you call a fast? A day that is pleasing to the Lord? No, this is the kind of fast that I want. I want you to remove the sinful chains, to tear away the ropes of the burdensome yoke, to set the oppressed and to break, set free the oppressed and to break every burdensome yoke. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to provide shelter for homeless and oppressed people. And when you see someone naked, clothe them. Don't turn your back on your own flesh and blood. Then, in verse 8, then your light will shine like the sunrise and your restoration <clears throat> will quickly arrive. And your godly behavior will go before you. And the Lord's splendor will be your rear guard. And then you will call out and the Lord will respond. You will cry out and he will reply, here I am. You must remove the burdensome yoke from among you. And stop pointing fingers and speaking sinfully. You must actively help the hungry and feed the oppressed. Then your light will dispel the darkness and your darkness will be transformed into noonday. The Lord will continually lead you. He will feed you even in the parched regions. He will give you renewed strength and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring that continually produces water. Your perpetual ruins will be rebuilt. You will reestablish the ancient foundations. You will be called the one who repairs broken walls, the one who makes the streets inhabitable again. And he goes on. He says, you must observe the Sabbath. Rather than doing anything you please on my holy day, you must look forward to the Sabbath and treat the Lord's holy day with respect. You must treat it with respect by refraining from your normal activities. And by refraining from your selfish pursuits and from making business deals. And then he says this, then you will find in your you will find joy in your relationship to the Lord, and I will give you great prosperity and cause crops to grow on the land I gave to your ancestor Jacob. Know for certain that the Lord has spoken. Do you get it? It's not about being hungry. It's not about praying fancy prayers. It's not about thinking and pondering over God's word. It's about a pursuit of the will, the way, and the word of God. It's about purity and holiness of heart, asking God to reveal the stuff that needs to be stripped away so that we will be everything that Jesus saved us to be. And when that happens, he says, you'll speak to me and I'll say, hey, here I am. And he says, and then I'm going to make you prosperous. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to feed you. I'm going to do things in your life that you will know where they come from. And they did not come from you. You will know with certainty that they came from your God. Church, I want you to know that is open to us today.
I want you to know God has convicted my heart that we stand at the door of God doing beautiful things in our hearts, in our lives, in our marriages, in our children, in our homes, in our careers, in our jobs, in our communities, and right here in our church. And I close with this. Nobody in here has to do this book but your preacher, because I am. Kendra's going to do it. Because Kendra will do it so she can convict me if I choose not to do it. See? We're in this thing together. Husbands and wives, friends, young people, adults, men, I'm asking everybody to do it. And you can start it today. Maybe you didn't take the first sermon note because you got a great memory, and that's cool. But right here on the bottom of this front page, I want you to take this book and write a commitment statement to Jesus. It can be whatever you want to put in there. Something like, God, I've never done this before. I haven't done it well. I'm willing to try this thing. God, I want you to expose your will, your word, and your way to me and help me pursue you with a pure heart to experience more from you than I've ever experienced. I commit 21 days to you. And just write your name on there. I'll give you a few minutes to do that, and then I'll pray, and then our worship team will lead us in a song. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.